How about another round of applause for those kids? What amazes me is how their personalities are already developing at this age. Kids running off the stage, trying to keep them up here. Kids that like John Deere tractors and their favorite thing is their John Deere bib overalls. I mean, come on, guys. Those, those are incredible. The, the one girl that her favorite thing is her pig and Play-Doh. I love that. Just, just great stuff. Well, great job, Rachel, Kylie, our children's pastors. And isn't it amazing to see all these kids around here? I mean, it is. It's fantastic. So another great job, guys. We love you. We are going to jump real quickly back into our teaching series that, that we're basing on a book called How Not to Read the Bible. All right? We're really glad you're here today as we jump into some tough topics. Here's the subtitle of the book. It says this. Uh, making sense of the anti-women, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy-sounding parts of Scripture. And today is, is the Bible anti-women. Isn't that amazing how that fits with baby death? We didn't plan that, by the way. We're counting that God did that in our schedule, all right? Is the Bible anti-women? Joellen yesterday, no idea what I was speaking on. She sent me the 1950s women's role article from the home ec classes in the 1950s. Have you seen those? you seen that article? It's, it's really kind of interesting. I'm just going to highlight a few of them for you. Are you ready? Number one, women, you're so have dinner ready, plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious meal ready on time for his return. This is a way of letting him know that you have been thinking about him and are concerned about his needs. Women, I'm just saying, this is 1950s, take note. Number two, most men are hungry when they come home. And the prospect of a good meal, especially his favorite dish, is part of the warm welcome that's needed. You can chuckle uncomfortably at these, it's okay. Number three, prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so you'll be refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup, put a ribbon in your hair. And be fresh looking. He has just been with a lot of work weary people. Number four, um, be interesting for him. His boring day may need a lift, and one of your duties is to provide that. I'm just reading them, guys. All right. Number five, clear away the clutter. Make one last trip through the main part of the house just before your husband arrives. Gather up school books, toys, paper, etc., and then run a dust cloth over the tables. Number six, over the cooler months of the year, you should prepare, a light prepare and light a fire for him to unwind by. Your husband will feel he has reached a haven of rest and order and will give you a lift. It will give you a lift too. After all, Catering for his comfort will provide you with immense personal satisfaction. Is that what you think when you hear that statement? I'm going to get immense personal satisfaction out of this. It goes through a couple things with kids. It says the number nine was be happy to see him. Free him with a warm smile and show sincerity in your desire to please him. Listen to him. And the final one was this. You may have a dozen important things to tell him. But the moment of his arrival is not the time. Let him talk first. 
which may never happen, remember <laughs> his topics of conversation are more important than yours. <laughs> don't throw stones, tomatoes, whatever. Just don't do it, right? I'm just reading that going, what's wrong with that? I mean, seriously, what's wrong with that? Well, here's what's wrong with that. That's what I do for my wife. That's what's wrong with that. <laughs> the rules have certainly reversed in that. Well, the, the deal is this. The challenge for this series is not to allow culture determine, to determine our views of the Bible because culture changes. I mean, it just changes. That, this, this example is one of many how culture has changed over the years. But we do need to let the Bible determine our view of God and our view of how to live. That's crucial for our lives. Let, let me reaffirm this statement about myself and about community church. I, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. So if you're a guest with us today, you have to know that's our baseline, right? That, that's the rock that we stand on is what it says. I and we believe it's the source for how to live our everyday lives. It's the guardrails that we bump up against. I and we believe it was written under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and that makes it truth. So with all that said, those are our basic beliefs on this. With all that said, what does the Bible say about women in the church? Could there be a more interesting topic? I know some of you are sitting there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, I get it. You do this on baby dedication day, that was on purpose, and now you're going to slam us as moms and, and wives and women, right? That, that's what you're, listen, li listen, listen. If you disagree with where I'm going on this topic today, it's okay. It's okay. Don't get up and leave and start bashing community church, all right? Go home if you're angry. Send an email to joel at communitychristianchurch.com. Let him have it. That's what you do. Joel is our Connect pastor. He'll love to see that, right? Guys, I love you all. I, I just do. I love you. I love this church, and I love God more than anything. And I never want to disrespect any of those things, right? I, I just, I, I love th this whole church. This topic, just so you know this, has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing. Salvation is the key point in the scripture. This topic has nothing to do with salvation, all right? This topic has nothing to do with our forgiveness. It has nothing to do with God's love. It has nothing to do with our forgiveness, with God's mercy, with God's hope. It has everything to do with how God wants to use us to impact this world for his kingdom. That's what it's about, all right? Your salvation is not affected by this one way or the other, but your effectiveness in this world is... So what does the Bible have to say about women in the church? Are you ready? Strap in, seatbelts buckled down tight. Here we go. Are you ready? 1 Timothy 2.11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Does that make anyone else uncomfortable in this room right now? Any, anyone? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It should make you a little uncomfortable. 
I mean, that's one of the main scriptures that people use when they want to keep women quiet in churches, kind of like this. That's what their intent is. And that intent, Scott, I'm getting feedback on stage. I don't know if you can hear that. Sorry, I don't know how it's coming across out there. That, that's one of the things. When you look at, at women in the church, it's based on one or two scriptures that people want to take and misuse and misquote. Hold on to that thought because we're going to get into them here in just a minute. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Now listen, I know a lot of you. We have a lot of guests because of baby dedication today. I know a lot of you. And a lot of you women, I, I know you. I know who you are. I know what you do. I know how hard you work. And I'm just going to say we have some of the brightest, smartest, best, most accomplished women anywhere that are part of this church. We do. Absolutely. Give a round of applause for that. We have female judges and nurses and teachers and business owners and moms and everything in between that do an amazing job. And you are a force, to say the least. And I appreciate that. I appreciate where you've come, what you do, how you do it, because, again, you're amazing. So how do you feel when you hear and read these kinds of verses? What does that do deep in your soul? How, how do you feel? Do you feel uplifted and encouraged? Do you feel defeated? Do you feel kind of looked down on when you hear these kinds of verses? Whatever it is, there are some real biblical answers to what these verses say, so you need to hold on, all right? We're going to get to those in just a minute. Don't check out. Don't put on the, I hate this, or I love this, and check out because you think you know where we're going, because I'm going to guarantee you don't know where we're going with this. According to our culture, the Bible, what we base our everyday living on, the Bible is anti-women. But is it? Is it? Do you know your Bible well enough to say one way or the other? My guess is probably not, but you need to. So is the Bible anti-women? Is it? Genesis 2.18 says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And when you read that verse, it's another verse, again, that people use to put women in their place, to put women down, so-called place, to put women, you know, kind of subservient to the men. The worker, the helper, comes across like, well, the man's in charge, and the woman does whatever she's told to do. In our culture, that's kind of the way it comes across. In our culture, that's where you get that the Bible is anti-women because the woman is less than the man, and that can't be right. So, so the Bible is just anti-women. So people think that the Bible is demeaning women, but you don't think that, do you? You know why you don't think that? Because you've learned over the past few weeks that you never read a Bible verse out of context. In other words, you don't open your Bible and go, well, it says right here, this verse right here, that's what it says, so that's what exactly it means. Whoa, 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 whoa. When you do that, you're going to get yourself in trouble. 
Why? Because you read one verse out of one chapter, out of one book, out of an entire Bible, which is a library of books, right? And so it's not just one verse that you base everything that, that you believe on. Now, again, never read a Bible verse out of context. What's that mean? That means whenever you read that one verse, you better go back and read the next previous verses and the verses following it. Maybe read the whole chapter that that verse comes from. Maybe read the whole book that that, that, that verse comes out of, and you look at where it fits into the storyline of the Bible. Look, look again at the picture of the chart. You have the book of Genesis over here to the far left. You have the book of Revelation all the way to the far right. You, you've got uh, the fall uh, that, that happens, you know, may, maybe a foot or two in from the far left. You have Jesus that happens just past the middle of it. And you have the book of Revelation at the very end of that chart. Where does this fall into that whole spectrum? Where is it in, in the middle of that chart? You have to know where these verses fall into the whole picture. And then you need, to, again, to read the entire chapter and see what the verse is being based on. And then, again, maybe read the entire book. To the very left of the chart, you have, go back to that chart just a second. To the very left, nope, not that one. The very left of that chart, you have the book of Genesis. If you want to answer some of your questions about the Bible, guess what? Go to the beginning. Because there's a whole lot of stuff answered in the very first book of this Bible that will set you up for the rest of your faith life. Genesis is that important. Look at Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moved on the ground. You read that and do you, do you get what it says? What stands out to you about that verse? God created mankind in his own image. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said to both of them, go subdue everything that's been created. Increase in number. Fill the earth. Both of them. There's not a hierarchy here, right? It's an equality factor here. God created both. They're both equal. They're both given the same task. You go and you take care of things. You rule over all of creation. They are equally given the job of taking care of everything. Now, I'm sure they did it differently because every single person in this room are your own unique individual, right? We have male and female that he created, but then you have this, this whole spectrum of where are you gifted? What are you, going to be, what are you going to do to make the impact? Because you might be gifted this way and you might be gifted this way. Make your impact how you've been gifted to make it. That, that's kind of the point. But they're both given the same job. Now, they're equally given the same job. That's also when Adam and Eve were united with God when things were going well, when things were good. They're walking with God in the garden, Adam and Eve. They're conversing with God in the garden, Adam and Eve. All right? Those things are happening simultaneous. There's no hierarchy happening here. You're going, okay, Scott, you said Eve was a helper. 
So that puts Adam above her just, just instantly, right? Step back and take a look at the word that's used for helper. The Old Testament, mostly written in Hebrew. So in the Hebrew term for helper, it's the word ezer. And it's used over 20 times in the Old Testament. And almost every time it's used, it's used to describe God. To describe God. Psalm 33:20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help, our ezer, and our shield. Now, this word doesn't mean that she is less than the man. If that were true and you're using that logic, that means that God is less than man. Because God is our helper. That's what it says. Same word. Same definition. If God is her helper and woman was the man's helper, does that mean that God is less than man? Absolutely not. It means that God is there to support and encourage. That's one of his roles. The woman was there to support and encourage. That's one of her roles. But it's not her only role. And it doesn't put her under the man. It puts them still on an equal playing field at this point in history. And then here's where things change. Here's where they change. When we stop putting one scripture as the whole reason for our theological viewpoint on something, and we start looking at when do things really change, they change at the fall, when sin enters the world. You know what the fall is, right? The fall is when Adam and Eve gave in the apple, the destruction of things, disobeying God. It changes everything. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that was Eve's fault. It's Eve's fault that we're in the shape that we're in. It's Eve's fault because she took the first bite. So it's Eve's fault that that happened. Guys, you do understand when you read the scripture, it's both of their faults. You just didn't read far enough. You stopped after the part that you wanted to stop after, and you forgot to keep reading through the scripture. You made your viewpoint on one part of a scripture without looking at the whole part of the scripture. Because Adam then sins too, and they both are sinning. They both gave in. It's both of their faults that we're in the shape that we're in. You can't blame just one. So it's not Eve. It's both. They're co-equal in bringing us down. that's, That's what really is happening here. Now, after sin comes into play, everything gets destroyed right? The perfect environment is now gone because they chose to disobey God, Adam and Eve. And so you see this whole environment, walking with God in the garden, everything going well, everything starts to get destroyed. You have pride that sets in. You you have selfishness that sets in. You have anger, rape. The relationship Adam and Eve had and men and women had changed with each other, right? It just changed. Here's an important thing to look at as you're reading through the scripture, especially on this topic. God is bringing his plan back after everything had been shattered by sin. God's plan's in place. It's just unfolding in his timeline, not in our timeline, right? Jesus is part of that restoration of his plan. Jesus is part of giving us new hope, new life, new future, new vision, right? So all that is taking place. It's all kind of coming back into play after sin had shattered everything. And you look at women in the middle of this and you think, well, they got the short end of the stick. That may be true. Matter of fact, it is true. Got the short end of of the stick, right? But 
women have not been left out of God's plan. Our culture has left women out of some things. Their culture had left women out of some things. But God's plan never left women out. Look at some of the women's vital roles in the Old Testament. Again, you've only got limited, limited scripture to read from here. So look at some of these women that had vital roles. You have Miriam. Anybody know who Miriam was? Moses' sister. Exactly. One of the key leaders of the whole nation of Israel, right? Now, you, you've got Moses, Aaron, Aaron, and Miriam, two brothers and a sister, that are running everything from the nation of Israel, and Miriam was the one that kept everything together. She was the one people went to for advice. She was the leader and a prophet that kept the nation of Israel moving forward. No question about it when you read the scripture about her. Here's another person in the Old Testament. How about Deborah? Deborah was a judge, and she was also a military leader. She was the top of the political realm in that culture. And she was a she. She was female, and she's at the top. You're going, well, God doesn't use women. God used her. God used Miriam. God used Hulda, who was a prophet. God used Rahab. You know who Rahab was? Rahab was a prostitute. Well, God can never use that. Nope, nope. Scripture must be wrong. God can never use somebody that, listen, she was trying to survive in a culture that didn't want her to survive, and she did everything she could, and she saved the nation of Israel from destruction. And so God uses her even in the New Testament. He talks about her being a hero of faith. I mean, let's get to the New Testament. On the chart, you're like in the middle, and then you go to the right, which is where Jesus comes in on that chart that we had up there. And you're looking at, at Jesus, and he had women leading, even when it went against the culture, which was a patriarchal culture, which was a man-based culture, right? He had men and women leading. Look at Luke 8, chapters um, 1 through 3, verses 1 through 3. After this... Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and disease. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. These women are leaders among the Jesus movement. These women are providing financially for Jesus' ministry to move forward. Wait, wait, wait. This is a patriarchal culture. How do women get money? These women were brilliant. They're hard workers. They're earning income. They're earning funds. And they're distributing those out to Jesus and, and the other followers of Jesus. And you're going, these women are leaders in the Jesus movement. Now, in a patriarchal society, it's just so unusual to see that. Let's look at some of the women who were leading in the early church. You have Hunia, who is, it says, she is outstanding amongst the apostles. You have Lydia, who is incredibly wealthy, and she was a leader in the early church. You have the four daughters of Philip, who were prophets, you have Priscilla, who was a teacher. You have Phoebe, who was a deacon, which is kind of an older term that we don't use a lot anymore, but it means a servant leader. 
And a matter of fact, when Paul wrote the letter to the Roman church, that would be the book of Romans in your Bible, by the way. It's a letter to the Roman church. When he wrote that letter to the Roman church, do you know who he sent that letter to Rome with? Who the person carrying it was? It was Phoebe. You didn't see that in this culture. Because the person that was carrying the letter was the representative of the person that wrote the letter, which is the Apostle Paul led by the Holy Spirit. And so Phoebe ends up in Rome. She's the one who would be answering the questions. She's the one because she's Paul's representative. She's the one that's explaining the text. So a woman, Phoebe, was the first one to teach the book of Romans in the early church. But you never heard that before, did you? Why? Because we don't dig deep enough. We just take scriptures at face value and say that's exactly what it means. When you don't dig deeper, you don't read more scripture, you don't read the context that's around it. So what about women being silent in the church? Well, we just talked about several women who were not silent in the church, right? They were leaders and teachers and prophets. And before the first Corinthians the woman's being silent verse, Paul gave instructions for women on praying and prophesying in the church. Chapters 11 and 12. In chapter 13, men and women are given spiritual gifts and some of those are teaching. I think it's a little bit hard to teach if you're silent. There's a specific situation happening there, right? But God is gifting everyone. When we as a church leadership decided to put people as pastors. I've been here 30 years, and when we came to Community Church, I was the first pastor to come in here. I raised all my own support to come in here, so we've been here through the whole ups and downs of Community Church from the beginning, and when we came into Community Church, we had to decide who to put into leadership, who, who, who are the pastors going to be, and we came to Galatians chapter 3, and here's what it says in Galatians 3. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all have been united with Christ in baptism, have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham, you are his heirs, and God's promise, promises to Abraham belong to you as well. Now, in case you didn't know, we have several female pastors on our staff, right? And we have from the very beginning of this church. And you're going, well, how, how can you do that? I mean, I mean really, how, how can you put females as pastors? Let, let me say this to you. It doesn't matter to me if it's a male or female, it doesn't matter to me if they are black or yellow or tan or white or blue, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whatever label that you want to put on a person because there are no longer male and female in the eyes of God. There's no longer slave or free in the eyes of God. There's no longer anybody with a different skin tone in the eyes of God. Those are things that we put on people and stipulations that we put on people. There's no more Jews or Gentiles. I want the person who is gifted by God to do a certain thing to do that certain thing. 
That's how we've treated our staff here at Community. Now, for example, if you think that only men are allowed to speak in the church, that means that only men are allowed to sing in the church too because that's a form of speaking. So if you're a man and you think you should be a worship leader because you're a man, because that's what the Bible says, and you can't sing on key, get off my stage. (laughs) If you're not gifted to do it, don't do it. If you're not gifted with that specific gift, do something else. But don't say, because I'm a man, I deserve to be on this stage. Because it's not biblical. It just isn't. You know, if you're going to be a, a preacher, you think, I'm going to preach. I'm a man. That's what I'm gifted to do. That's, that's what I'm called to do. And you can't keep an audience's attention with the word of Jesus Christ. Get off the stage. Some of you are going... Well, Scott, that's kind of you, so get off the stage. (laughs) Just because you're male doesn't mean you deserve or belong to be on a stage in front of people like this in a church setting. What it says is there's no longer male or female, black, white, slave, free, whatever it is. Those things don't matter after the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Because we're all Christ followers. We're all equal. I got to tell you what, when when we looked at teaching, we have a teaching team. It's myself, Shelly Mosteller, and Joel Real, And we are all so uniquely different. We meet every week to plan messages, to plan out the series for the year, to talk about what went right and what went wrong. And, And sometimes our perspectives are so unique, it enhances the teaching. Because what I'm thinking may not be what Joel's thinking. Very rarely is what Joel's thinking, by the way. (laughs) What Shelly's thinking is definitely not what Joel's thinking. Sometimes Shelly and I are on the same page. Actually, a lot of times we are. But we need those multiple perspectives to be able to pull together where we're headed and why we're heading there. And why do you think that works? Because we're all gifted to do this. Because this is part of how God has wired us up. If you think there's no way, I'm out of here, Shelly's preaching, Shelly's teaching, I'm not going to be around for that, and you leave, leave. Because she is incredibly talented and gifted at doing this role. If you want to talk about a leader in the church, a leader anywhere, Shelly's one of the best leaders that I know. I know a lot of leaders. I know a ton of pastors. I know people that say they're gifted at doing things, and I'm telling you what, I'm putting Shelly up against all of them, and she's better than all of them. That's how good she is. That's how gifted she is at that. And you want to tell me that someone like Shelly's not gifted to be on this stage and teach, sharing from her heart what God is telling her, that she's not gifted to lead you through reading through the Bible in a year that a lot of you are a part of? give me a break. Those are things that God has gifted her with, and if she doesn't use them, she's not going to be complete in who God created her to be, and we're not going to be complete as a church because we need those perspectives from everyone. No more male or female. No more Jew or Greek. The differences, the divisions are gone. Let's move forward with the power of God to impact the people for Jesus. I think it's about time that we do that. 
Now, I want you to dig through your scripture. I want you to figure out why things are said the way that they're said. I want you to have a solid answer because when somebody comes at you and says, see, that's what the Bible says. That's why I can never go to church. That's why I could never read that ancient book. I want you to be able to pop up and say, ah, that's not what it says. Let me explain it to you. That's the goal for every Christ follower in this church is to be able to defend your faith and speak freely about what God does say, like how much he loves each of us, how we're all forgiven no matter where we've been or what we've done, how we as individuals can impact this world for Jesus. It's time to step up to that. I don't think they did either, but I'm going to keep going. Guys, I love you all. And I want you to know, each of you are gifted to do something. By the way, some of you signed up for children's ministry and you didn't even realize it when they did the challenge to you today. Just go sign up after the service. It's okay. You said you were doing it, so do it. When did I say that? It was in the charge. It's all right. Go back and watch. Guys, listen. I want you to do what God has gifted you to do because that's the way the kingdom goes. Will you pray with me? Father God, I pray for everyone in this room and God, everyone watching online, may you understand how important you are, how much God loves you, how, how, how he created you to be different from the person next to you, but not less than them, just different and unique. And may we all use our unique giftedness to further your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.